Welcome to Craftsmanship, a podcast discussing technical skill in the contemporary art world told through the oral history of fabricators. My name is Harriet Salmon. I independently produce this series as a free resource and as a record of the last 20 years of fabricators' experiences. Who are fabricators? A fabricator is someone hired to assist in the production of an artwork. Unlike the traditional artist-apprentice relationship that could contain an element of mentorship, a fabricator provides a technical skill to an artist as a paid service. Fabricators can be found in foundries, darkrooms, wood shops, and laboratories in roles ranging from master printmaker to studio assistant. They are part of an unseen mechanism of the contemporary art world and their skills produce objects essential to the global art economy, a market currently estimated to generate over $60 billion in annual sales. With scholars and institutions meticulously documenting the intentions of artists, who is recording the stories of these craftspeople? This podcast will document fabricators' experiences to shine a light on the amazing breadth of talent in the field and to capture this particular moment in the art world. I'm interested in conversations about hierarchies within craft versus concept, questions of intellectual property, trends of de-skilling in the art world, wealth disparity, and the conflict felt by many fabricators between working in art production and being artists in their own right. For the 10th episode of Craftsmanship, I again partnered with the nonprofit Brooklyn Research on a talk series titled Traycraft, where I interviewed fabricators in front of a live audience. This episode is an unedited recording of that event and features an interview with Ivan Balwin. Ivan Balwin is the co-founder of LensCloud, a Brooklyn-based 3D scanning business that specializes in custom solutions for high-volume 3D scan capture as well as more conventional 3D scanning processes. Before starting LensCloud, Ivan worked for 10 years as a material specialist and fabricator for artists such as Matthew Day Jackson. Currently, Ivan is working with MIT's Immersion Lab on a custom photogrammetry scanner for high-speed avatar creation and is part of New Lab, a group of over 150 companies in the Brooklyn Navy Yard that focuses on entrepreneurship of frontier technologies. Ivan attended Rhode Island School of Design, received a BFA in sculpture in 2004, and then his MFA in painting at Cranbrook Academy of Art in 2006. His work has been exhibited in New York galleries such as Blackstone Gallery, The Wasayak Project, Regina Rex, Tanya Banakdar Gallery, and Freight and Volume, and in institutions such as Islip Museum, the Bronx River Art Center, Richmond Center for the Arts, Sarah Lawrence College, and University of Texas at Dallas. Ivan, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into 3D scanning? Yes, uh, so I've been a fabricator for about 15 years now, and um, I got into 3D scanning uh, through working with artists about three to four years ago um, and was very interested in it uh, and kind of the possibilities it offered and also the way it kind of changed how I interacted with materials. Um, so... Uh, there was a particular project where uh, an artist needed an instant capture 3D scanner, this device that was kind of a unicorn. and Unicorn in it, that it didn't really... That it didn't really... Exist. We were looking to buy one and we couldn't yeah. find one to buy. And um, I happen to have a friend, Ryan Paxton, uh, who I guess is, you know, 
if there was anyone to ask about how to build an instant capture 3D scanner, the first person <laughs> came to mind was Ryan Paxton. And I called him up just to ask about it. And, and his response was, I want to build that. Um, Is he an artist as well? And Ryan's an artist, also a fabricator. And we, we've done a lot of work together over the years uh, doing, you know, freelance artist projects and working at studios. Um, Could you talk a little bit, um, just because I know the mm -hmm. scanner is like a very specific yep. piece of equipment that obviously didn't quite exist for purchase, but can you talk a bit about the kind of fabrication you were doing before yeah, you uh, were kind of called on that one project? Yes. So, um, you know, uh, I, I started, like my first passion, I actually would say was mold making. Um, and I was interested in that uh, starting in college and just the complexity and the material of it and kind of an obsession with bronze. Um, and just um, also just like the expansion of materials you could use of taking one thing, sculpting it in clay and a soft material and transitioning it to plaster. Um, so uh, I, you know, I, I spent a lot of years making my own work and, you know, doing kind of trial and error and, you know, and experimenting with materials um, and totally analog. I mean, I've always been that way and I still am that way with my own work. Uh, you don't use any digital. I don't use any digital in my own work at all. But I started working for the artist Matthew Day Jackson and I'd worked for a couple of artists here and there before then, but in, in 2000, I think it was 2010. And, um, and Matt like used everything and digital and, it was really interesting immediately to, for me just to see how somebody else works and utilizes 3D digital modeling, digital cutting, digital carving, uh, and analog processes. So, I mean, I'd say back then I was just observing it. It wasn't something that I was interested in even doing myself, but I, I like doing it. And, and I think that's also like, you know, getting to the point of your of your podcast is that, I mean, I think one common theme is that all the people you've interviewed are people who like to make things for other people mm -hmm. and maybe themselves or maybe not. And I think that, you know, of course what you make yourself, you know, is going to influence who you want to work with. Yeah. Everyone has said there's like a common thread that the conversation sooner or later turns to the fact that everyone I've interviewed enjoys solving problems yes. and fabrication is one of the places where they rarely have to deal with the same problem twice. So it's like a very, um, entertaining is the wrong word, uh, yeah. like, uh, satisfying with how complex and new the problems are. Exactly. It's yeah. I mean, it's like Sudoku or something. I mean, it's, it really is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, there's, there's, and it's all about adherence too. So it's like, how do I get one material to stick to another? Um, whether it's fasteners or glue or, you know, using processes that uh, make two things close enough together that they can, you know, physically lock together. I mean, how, like, hearing you talk about that um, kind of chapter of fabrication where it was like mold making and, mm -hmm. I mean, it is so much adherence or like how not to make it fall over or how to make it catalyze correctly or all mm -hmm. those kind of logistical questions. Those are very material based. But when I think about... Um, the company that you've started and the scanner that you've built, there's a materiality to it 
but you're essentially doing file creation. Can you kind of talk, maybe it would be helpful to kind of talk through what you built. Yes. <laughs> and yes. what it does. Yes. Um, so what we built is a, it's a photogrammetry scanner and we didn't invent the process of photogrammetry, but um, it's a process in which you take a series of images of an object and you use existing software to basically use a lot of trigonometry to understand how that object manifests itself into a three-dimensional form. Can I ask a very layman's question? Yep. When I first he heard of it, the first visual, the like common cultural visual I had was mm -hmm. um, how they made the scene in the matrix with the cameras going around. Is that a similar thing or is that a not similar thing? That is not a similar okay. thing. Because that, in my mind, when I see that, yes, that's what I think. But it's different than photo. Yes. So, in essence, it's it's a lot of cameras creating multiple shots, multiple screenshots at the same time. Okay. So that it, you know, it, it's it's creating a similar amount of data, but it's using it differently. Okay. So the that's, matrix thing it's taking it in a sequence so it looks like the camera is moving around. Exactly. So imagine, you know, I have 20 videos on you and they're all going at the same time. I can freeze frame cuz they're all the frames are the same and move around you in slow motion. It kind of creates visual effects. But with photogrammetry, you are you're kind of taking that data and you're like running it through a washing machine. Okay. And like a software washing? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, and there's like rules to it. Like there's yeah. rules to any part of fabrication. I mean, that's why it's actually really similar to building things. Is there, um, can we look at an image of the, all of the photographs just so that. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's a data set. So, so a data set is the, all the pictures that are taken around. Yes. Yeah, so it's, so our, and, and, you know, our rig is it's 120 cameras and they're all synchronized and it takes one picture with just light and there's i think there's an example of that and then it takes one picture with a projected image on it and the projected image is like a, a noise pattern um so that's just light right there and then that's projection so what the projection does is it it gives some interference to any any material on the subject whatever it is that a model can be made from. So in, in this case, we have a, just a random noise pattern that we made and it works very well. And this way, if you're wearing a shirt that's white or blue or just doesn't have any pattern on it, it gives it some, you know, we call it, you know, texture for lack of a better word, because that's going to get confusing down the line. But um, it gives it um, like a tooth, I would say. So this is like a pattern that's just projected by a regular projector that yes. helps pick up the definition yes, of exactly. the person or whatever's in the scanner. Exactly. So it's timed really close. So it's as fast as we can make it with the hardware. It's half a second in between uh, a capture with light and then half a second. And then half a second later, it's a capture with um, the projection. So then what we do is we take that model with all the speckles all over it or the, that photo set and we put it into a program called Metashape. And we that's run the washing machine and that's the washing machine. <laughs> and that's the, this is it right here. So you look on the right, there are all the photos um, and you know, 120 photos. And so what you're looking at here, it's a bit confusing, but hang in there. Um, we're, we're, 
first, what we're doing is we're figuring out where all the cameras are in space. That's the most important part. So those blue squares that are surrounding, each one of those represents a camera. And we're, we're just basically, the, the, the program is just figuring that out on its own through math. And once you know where the cameras are, you can um, generate uh, what's called a dense cloud, which is every single point, I believe that three or more cameras recognizes as the same. So it could just be like, it could be whatever. It could be your, your iris, for instance. You know, uh, it will be a point in space, in three-dimensional space. So you get enough cross-reference, you get a bunch of points. And then so you, that's called a dense cloud. So then you've got a couple million points that make a person. And then what so you do... you need three cameras to identify and agree on where... Like, I'm kind of making is. that up. I actually don't know if it's three, but I okay. assume it's three. Okay. I, I, yeah. There needs to be agreement between... Yes things to figure out where that button is in yes. three-dimensional because you're looking at two-dimensional photographs. Yes, and they're cross-referencing all from each other. Like, so how the pattern kind of changes in space, you know. This is a, a like, so you know where these cameras are um, in space. Can you move where they are? Can you expand Yes, that so way? this is the thing with photogrammetry. It's like there's an ideal and an optimal but it's very flexible. The, the cameras don't have to be in a certain location. They just, it's, it's like, you're really just dealing with photography here and you want clean, even lighting, good coverage projection, because you have to remember down the line when you have a 3d model, that's the great thing about a 3d model is you can light it any way you want. You just want a really nice, even texture. So we just flood it with a crazy amount of light and try to eliminate any shadows whatsoever. So then you get the dense cloud and then you actually turn that into a polygon model. Okay. And a polygon model is actually like the surface. So um, if a camera is reading a photographic image, is that, is that camera figuring out how far away that surface is from it? Or is that part of the washing yes. machine? Yes. Yeah, so that's the other thing is so actually, keep, if you could go back to the, um, <laughs> the meta shape, this is a real meaty picture. Um, so those little, this things that say targets there, those are markers in space that we, so we pre-register all the cameras and the markers are calibrated to like, you know, I think it's like thousands of a millimeter or something like that. So you can actually scale whatever you're scanning. So, and we also know where zero is. Cause if you're, if you're in 3d and modeling and carving, finding zero is, it's nice to have because that's where you start. Uh, so so like where is, so is zero, the floor? zero is right under the person because okay. we set it up that way. I mean, that's you can always set it later, but the, the what we do in our system is we we pre-calibrate it. So when we, we can just scan a person, zero is set, there's X, Y, and Z, they're scaled correctly. We know when we export them, they're just going to be a person standing straight up instead of being sideways. So, but, but the other point is, is it's scaled, uh, which is... I mean, we're get, really getting in the weeds here, but, um, but you know, but that's, you know, it's important because, you know, if you're scanning two people next to each other, that you got to know like what their relative size is if you're going to put them in the same space. Otherwise, it's a totally random thing. Yeah. Can the person move while you're scanning them? Or do you uh, stay perfectly still? So some scanners, yes, you can move. And that's another thing is like they have scanners that are, they call them 4D scanners. Microsoft has one where it's actually continually capturing, 
your movement um, with a different technology. So you can actually be in there and act out a scene and they actually have like a replicate replicated you in 3D moving. It's like really new technology and there aren't a ton of ways to utilize it, which is the problem. I mean, like we're just getting to a point now where, you know, we've been around for a couple of years and we're finally finding a use for our scanner, which is like way simpler than that. So, you know, they've built this incredible technology, but what's the venue? Yeah. That's the question. Um, First of all, is it all right if I interrupt? Of course, okay. please. I don't want to disrupt you guys, but is that why the there's a half a second lag between the projection of the um, the, the so that there isn't any movement or to or to we yeah so yes the amount of distance there is between the visual projection and the actual yeah. polygonal. Ideally, there would be no. It would be nothing. But we there, we have like a hardware restriction, so the cameras have to change aperture, and that takes half a second. So yeah, I mean it would be better if it was, yeah, because people have to stand still for half a second, which is kind of harder than you think. I mean, so what I'll do when I'm capturing someone is I'll usually tell them to hold still, and I'll capture them five times while they're trying to hold still and swaying in the wind, and uh, eventually I'll get one. But it's it's I mean, so it's not that hard, but it's. Otherwise, it's more work afterward with the three-dimensional file. It just doesn't. So what happens then is the texture doesn't align. So that's the thing. So we're creating the mesh with the with the with the projection photos, and then we're creating the texture map, which is texture in three D speak. Actually, doesn't mean it means photo overlay. It gets very confusing. It doesn't mean texture like you think of it in sculpture. And so if if the person isn't still and they move the texture map doesn't align and people look really disturbing. So one scan is like the volume and then another is the texture map. Exactly. It's like the photo realistic like skin that gets draped yes. over that exactly. form. Exactly. Does the software create those two separately and then combine them for you? Yes. So we have so Metashape is it's a great software and it allows scripting. So we've scripted everything. So it doesn't do it automatically, but we do okay. it automatically. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I do, we have an image of a texture map. I I remember you showing one to me. And it oh was, yes. Yeah. It's so so that is, yeah. <laughs> that's so that's just like you know that's I mean a texture map is just a JPEG. So you know when you unwrap it from the person, that's what it looks like. It reminded me yeah. of um, like chocolate bunny rabbits when you take <laughs> off the foil and flatten it. And right? it yeah. oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a <laughs> yeah. Um, it also reminded me of how, um, and, and there's a lot of points for this kind of analogy, but how this reminded me of mold making where you're thinking about like a brush up or like applying a skin of something Mm -hmm. and backing it up with the volume and then thinking about like draft and all these kind of things. Yes. There's a real like progression of um, volume understanding yes. with the two things, which I think is really interesting. Yes. And then, the, yeah. So like, you know, I was never a very, I mean, I feel like I had a good feel as a mold maker, but I always like to work with people who paid more attention than I did and would take notes because I knew I was supposed to take notes, but I never liked doing it. <laughs> But um, it's like this side of it too. It's like the, 
the software on the back end of how to manipulate these files, I mean, it is just incredibly complex. And, you know, so once you have a 3D model, then it's like, what do you do with it? And there's a million different things. And everybody we work with has a different workflow and software they use. Your clients or the people that work with you at LensCloud? Our clients. Okay. Yeah. Um, and this obviously is a very complicated machine that you guys built stemming from it, this requirement. It is, and it's simple. I mean, it's really a big camera. Can I mean, that's all it is. Yeah. Assembled this yeah. big multi camera camera. Yeah. So there's one image of the first iteration that's in wood, I think. And so we, we built the first one. We had looked up this there's like a website it's called pi scanning 3d or something like that because we used raspberry pies to build this thing which is my favorite description like a uh, equipment description. raspberry pie <laughs> right like, sounds amazing yeah. wait and if cameras? you yeah if you don't know it's a it's a very affordable microcomputer and we and they had kind of like an open source thing that was okay but we so, so yeah so I'll, I'll pitch my you know or you know my third partner brett uh basler is ryan's old buddy he Ryan brought him in, and this is this is back when I was working with ours, and this is Brett. Um, and Brett's a software engineer, also brilliant. Um, and and he just wanted to write the software, rewrite it himself. And does he come from an art background? He does so not. He does not come yeah. from an art background. Um, I mean, you know, he he makes drawings and you know, he's very creative, but he's not like a like a fabricator in the New York. Yeah. world he's from uh, he actually lives in seattle and works remote but he he's designed a ton of software for us as a business that automates because that's a, a lot of what we've done is automation so we have taken like a different step so there's a lot of photogrammetry businesses but one thing we did and one thing that was ryan's early vision was he wanted to have like a push button 3d scanner and i was like that sounds great but it just sounds so hard and the two of them in, in that you just click a button and it and it pop, spits out a model pops out a yeah. three-dimensional texture yes. everything and we built the scanner and it worked and i saw what kind of went into it in the software and i mean even in my head i thought that that was going to be impossible but but anyways i'll you know i'll give ryan and brett all the credit is is they actually developed software to do this so you know something that like if you had an idea to do that and you wanted to hire like an industrial designer and a software engineer and whatever it is exactly I do, you know, you would spend, you know, hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars, but we were lucky and we were all interested in it. So we just did it uh, together. And, you know, the, the, the thing that's silly about it right now is that, you know, for years we just did events and they were quite lucrative, but somebody would have an idea in like an office saying, wouldn't it be cool if we like, you know, 3D scanned all the people who came into our trade show booth? And then they would start looking around and nobody does this, but then we figured out how to do it. So we get these kind of random business inquiries where we go and set up our booth at CES or at a trade show. And was were you taking this wooden version? Not no, no. We 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 made a metal version by then okay. that was nice and durable for transport. And we just scanned just hundreds and hundreds of people. And then we, you know, process the models and we had a quick little way to rig it and make people dance. I mean, it was like a really fun. Oh, yeah, that's the uh, scanners all stacked up for transport. Oh, that's it's yeah. portable. So wow. they all like kind of block together like Legos. But we uh, we would do all these events 
and scan people. And it, and it was fun, but not really what we, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's as fun as the output can be. Um, I mean, what do you see as like an ideal, uh, if you think about how you'd like to see this kind of file generation used? What would be your ideal? I mean, I'm actually kind of interested in, I'm interested in building more of the scanners and getting people to use them. Mm -hmm. So also making the interface a little bit easier um, and getting the scanners in the hands of more creatives and institutions and studios so that uh, it can just make one step of creating uh, virtual media more um, attainable because right now it's like if you want a 3d scan of a person in new york before us you can do it i mean there's a couple places that do it but then like we came along and we just have like a really kind of easy way to work with and we're just like a local shop so we kind of take anybody who comes in and try to work with anyone yeah i can uh, see some of the big like corporate um you, you can work with a big corporation, but you can work with like an individual artist. Too. Yes. Like it's not, um, sometimes this kind of specialized equipment has accessibility issues just for like yes. being able to walk through the door and ask questions. Well, that's the nice thing about it too. It's like the you know beautiful thing about a digital camera is that, you know, you're never going to run out of film and that's basically the bones of this thing. So we're not operating a CNC router where there's, you know, consumables and massive amounts of electricity. I'm just taking digital pictures and then we have these scripts. So if I have it set up for auto process and somebody needs a scan, I mean, I'm going to scan them, you know, and it's working with artists, especially we've worked with a lot of students, you know, and it's, it's really satisfying to, to be able to, uh, to give somebody something that's worth a lot of money. How do you, um, how do you talk about what this machine can do when you like meet an artist or, or a student? Cause it seems, you know, there's a lot of, like with all specialized things, there's a lot of jargon. Yeah. But it's like the concept is, is pretty simple when you explain it, it like you just did. Like yeah. what kind of language do you use to get them inspired to like use it in a creative way? Well, typically if, if somebody's coming to me, they know what they're getting into. So <laughs> it's very rare that I have to like start at the beginning uh -huh. with someone. I mean, if somebody's coming in, they, they want a 3d file and they like, can you give me an OBJ? Can you give me an SDL? I'm like, yes, yes. You know, and yeah. that's all they want to know. Uh, but yeah, when they have questions about doing certain things, I mean, like any fabricator, you know, if, if you're working with an artist who has an idea and they really want your input on how to make it, it's the same exact way. And I just try to tell people start with what you want. And then we'll start there and we'll talk about how it would be done. And then you kind of let them in on the process of how the scan works. That might give them other ideas. Yeah. I mean, it seems like such a great opportunity if it never runs out of film to let artists and creative people like play with this. Thing. Yeah. That's the nice thing. So like we, tr it's like a piece of studio equipment. So when somebody comes in for a shoot and pays for a day or whatever, I mean, that's the thing we'll do captures all day and then they can look at the photos and the photos give you all the information the model would. They're just frozen so they can look at their expression and their posture or whatever they want and decide if it's good before we run it through processing, which takes, you know, some time and resources. So it is nice in that way is that you actually use the photos as a primer for the project. Yeah. It's um, like pretty immediate feedback. 
incredibly immediate. So yeah, I mean, that was the, the other thing is, you know, Brett designed this too, where the photos download. So you've 120 networked computers uh, on the uh, on these towers, and we're getting a gig of data out of all those computers in 12 seconds. Wow. So we can look at two photos from each of those. So I'll do a capture, and within 12 seconds, I can look at it. And then the new scanner we're building this fall is going to have gigabit. So I think it'll be two seconds. You can look at all those sets. I mean, so many, you guys specialize in the file generation, and so much of digital fabrication um, takes so long to turn into an output to get mm -hmm. out into the world as a three, like CNC routing takes a long time. You have to like set everything up and right. put it back together. It seems like a really nice um, kind of immediate way to get a feel for the file. Do you guys work with um, people on the output end of stuff? Do you have like subcontractors sure. that you recommend yeah. with like what kind of ways that these files gone out into the world or not like mm -hmm. been in virtual reality kind of um, like how are they used? Yes. So we've worked with a bunch of uh, fabricators, but we work with um, a 3D printing shop that's fantastic um, uh, called Roboto a lot. Um, Rob Steiner started it and Alyosha, I'm blanking on his last name, uh, but they have a really uh, great service for artists or, you know, if you're looking for like a you know, a part made in 3D, they really know their equipment. And and that is a nice thing is like you, and and also like some, you know, another guy, Neoset does robotic arm carving. I mean, if somebody does understand how your files come to them and, and you can develop a good relationship, it's actually really good for either client because mm -hmm. if we're speaking the same language. Um, but there isn't always, I mean, we don't, we, we do, uh, I guess, a fair amount of work that is going to go back to physical in some way, but we also do a lot of work that stays digital. Yeah, I, there were some great like models using scans oh, that yeah. were moving. Oh, this is the, um, so this is, we sold a scan, scanner to MIT, and this is the design, and we, we reconfigured it for like more of a studio approach where it could be kind of collapsed easier and moved around. And we could also add additional cameras to up the overall resolution. How big can that circle of cameras go? Could you? Well, that's the nice thing about it is it just, it can wheel any size. I mean, okay. they wanted it specifically for avatars, but you could scan a couch in it or whatever you could want. Could you scan a house? So that's, I mean, that's Sorry, interesting. You can. Online. What about an elephant? You could, but then there's like, you get in a photogrammetry. It's like really the best thing to scan a house would be to fly a drone around it. Uh, yeah. To move the camera. Yeah, around. in building like a billion dollar 3D scanning rig. <laughs> gotcha. And there, there now are scanners that you could do with the drone. Well, yeah. So I mean, it's just photos. So if if you're if you're capturing something that's not going to move, mm -hmm. then you can just take pictures of it. And I I actually use that quite a lot because sometimes if you're out in the field or sometimes an object needs just like a different level of care with a different type of camera. Uh huh. And I'll just take a bunch of pictures of it and, and I'll have to, you have to run it through the software manually. Wow. So it can, it, as long as it can find, agree on the point in space, it mm -hmm. can find the three dimensional. Yeah. I mean, you can use your iPhone. How do you set zero with an iPhone? That doesn't, I mean, you can always do that later. Okay. That, that whole, you know, example was really about auto, auto processing. 
how we do it automatically. Yeah. You can definitely do that retroactively. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I'd love to see those, the, for stuff that doesn't go back into the physical. Oh yeah. Yeah. The kind of manipulation that can happen with the files, the videos, the videos yeah. of, um, I think there was like a, <laughs> one like where me, someone like, was getting things thrown at them. Yeah. Kind of bouncing around. Yeah. Yeah. Brett will like take scans of me and torture me. Um, some of this is on her Instagram. So I this think. is like your, the texture map in an inflatable. Yeah. Yeah. So my thing like, in like a, a virtual space that has like rules. To yes. It. Okay. Yeah. So you can, so once you have a polygon model, you can just change the property of the material. And so he made me an inflatable and made my head sink in. Um, here's another one. So that's Brett right there. And then I think Ryan and I are going to be dancing. There's me belly dancing. There's Ryan doing something cool. <laughs> so the movement in this, they're not scanning you dancing in the machine. They're no. scanning you standing still and then they're manipulating yes. you in virtual reality. Yeah. So we, okay. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. That sounds really like, answer, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if, if Brett, uh, Brett always makes me belly dance. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, you can, so we just like pull out all the easiest tricks we can. And one of them is Mixamo. That's Brett also. It's a scan on a skateboard. And that was a good one. Um, Mixamo is Adobe and it's free. So we make our models so they immediately can import into Mixamo and you can rig it and make it do like tons of dances. Do so, people use that? Do well, so so what lot, we or? do, actually what we're doing this Saturday, if you're interested, is you can come to the new lab, show up at six because the line gets huge. We can only scan probably 200 people and there's 3,000 who show up. To this thing but we'll get us we'll scan you and then we'll make you do like a break dancing backflip or something <laughs> send it to you and a link so, uh, can you talk a little bit about being part of new lab because it yes. seems like such a great community and like how it fits in with the contemporary art world because you kind of have a foot in a lot of different yeah. worlds yeah so new lab was amazing um we we really i, I feel like are still lucky to to be there especially um i mean i think we fit really well into their criteria for companies but typically um and i might, I might be wrong about this now but a lot of their companies have or are actively raising money and being kind of a bootstrap business that has developed the technology but is also in service is a little bit uninvestable in some ways to some venture capitalists. Um, we're not letting it get us down. Um, but no, it's, it's, they've been like a huge support network. So there's new lab has, uh, I think it's a, it's over 130 companies now and of totally varying sizes. And it's been really different. I mean, from being in the art world for 10 years and then going into like tech and hardware manufacturing and software, I mean, it is very different. So, there's all these people that are kind enough to, you know, tell me when I'm doing something stupid. So, um, do you guys feel, do you like, um, trade, uh, clients and stuff? Is there like a, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Around? yeah like, no. I do file generation. You need a file generated for, I mean, I know there's like a company there that it is some mushroom growing. Yes. Like, it, it is a place of goodwill. I mean, for sure. I mean, it, you know, everybody kind of wants to help each other and, there's lots of introductions going on and there is some, there's definitely collaboration between companies there. Um, we're working with some companies, uh, 
you know, to do different projects. I mean, nothing, you know, huge, I guess, has quite come out of it yet, but I don't necessarily expect that. I mean, I guess the, the bigger thing is that um, of like when you're a small company and your co-founders are working remote, it's nice to have a workspace where you can relate to people. It's not quite like a WeWork because it's a bit more curated and there's a lot of just general collaboration there. It's a nice place to be. It really is. Um, what, like, how do you see this? I mean, it's hard to, to, I know it's hard to answer, like, how you see this technology being used because it's almost like you made it and then yes. you want the world to answer that question yes, for yeah, you. Yeah. But, like, how, how do you see it kind of fitting back into your history with contemporary art? Like, do you want it to? Mm -hmm. Do you see it growing out of that and not turning back? I mean, I think... You know, you're talking about problem solving earlier. And I, I think that's, I think the thing that I saw three years ago was a big problem of like, oh my God, 3D scanning in New York is just sucks. Like there's not many options. It seems overpriced. Uh, and when we built this machine, you know, and that Ryan and Brett slaved over for a few months, I, I couldn't believe how easy it was to use. Like after struggling to, generate 3d models for so long and granted we have work to do to make it better but I, I like the idea of it being a tool like any other tool yeah. and i think you know i think for us like we're, we're, we're kind of going towards retail a lot because there's money there and to survive i think that's where we're going to want to be uh -huh. but at the same time you know i look at um, if we can develop it more, it can be used for all sorts of things you've never even thought of. I mean, yeah, as well. I mean, I've heard conversations about uh, how great it would be to use it for um, specialty crate building if you have a large sculpture. Yes. Scan it and then build a perfect fit for That it. is like another thing. So that's like another thing about 3D scanning is there's there's a lot of different equipment out there. And our scanner is really good at what it's good at, which is scanning people quickly. Um, and it's easy to use. And, but then to that point, there's other equipment that is better at other things <laughs> like handheld scanners. Yeah. And so I also see it as like something, but yeah, they, all the scanners, you know, to what you're saying, like they all work together. Like we're actually buying more scanners that aren't our scanners so that we can be more dynamic in the service industry. So we bought two, they're called Artec is the kind of leading uh, handheld 3D scanning, but they're very expensive scanners. But we bought two of them so that when we have somebody come in for a service job, we can not just take care of, you know, scanning their, you know, their bodies, but we could scan their shoes if they need it or something else. Or if we have a client who needs us to run on site, we don't have to move the scanner that weighs a couple thousand pounds. We can just bring a suitcase. So I think that there's kind of a, a place for all of it. And I mean, it's, what's really amazing, too, is that in the past even two to three months, we have just gotten so much more interest from what I was expecting two years ago. Yeah. That nobody was calling about. And do you think it's people just knowing that you exist or being familiar with? I think it's this a technology. I think it's a mixture. I mean, I think that there's a real like all the hardware is accepting 3D a lot easier. So larger companies are thinking that they need to utilize 3d 
and everything's just getting like easier. Everything's just kind of locking into place. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, I feel like we've talked kind of hearing that there's like a familiarity growing, um, just with your business, but like generally out there, we've talked about fabrication and like the idea of kind of post-industrial fabrication Yeah. or, I mean, in conversations that term has been used as like the actual process is no longer industrial, like boat building or forging or, you mm-hmm. know, these kind of like industrial processes, but has become digital. But we've had conversations about it also in that um, in contemporary art fabrication, it's coming away from an artist hires a cabinet maker to produce an industrial object mm-hmm. to an artist talks to another artist who's good at this thing. And they talk to their friend and then it's mm-hmm. a digital service. It's become it's like the industrial um, production line has disappeared from fabrication, both on a material level, but also on like an interpersonal mm-hmm level can can you talk a little bit about your thoughts about that change into like post-industrial yeah i mean well you know working with artists is such a pain but (laughs) (laughs) but i i love it you know i mean they're they're the best at what they do with materials and they make our business way better uh for sure so it's something i will always do but yeah i mean it is, it is quite different because the artists too are, they're excited about it. They kind of don't know how to wrap their head around it, but I, I like, I like how you can kind of dip your toe in, you can try something and it's not going to kill you. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I like about 3d is it gives you, it gives you like a preparation to a project. And the way I see a lot of artists working much more typically now is going from 3D model, whether it's scanned or built, and then into some sort of digital fabrication, which would be robotic arm carving, 3D printing. Um, And those processes, I mean, there are studios that are supported by completely by artists, but a 3D scanning studio doing only artist work, I don't know if that's going to survive or not. I mean, it's just, it's a little bit. I mean, would you want it to, or do you like having the different, you know, the kind of like difficult to work with, but fun to experiment and the kind of steady? Yeah. Well, I think one helps the other for sure. I mean, every, every bit of development we do for, you know, uh, for corporations doing like high volume scanning is certainly going to help artists. I mean, I, we're like a Kinko's, you know, I was just saying this actually on the way here to, I was talking to an Uber driver who's asking me all about it. And I just realized like, we are really just a new type of Kinko's Mm -hmm. and we're just, you bring your thing in and we make copies of it. So sometimes we're doing it for, you know, Dunder Mifflin and sometimes we're doing it for, you know, do you have like an ideal client, like (laughs) (laughs) artist, an ideal Art, like, is there an artist you'd love to work with, living or dead? Oh, like, my God. That's a good question. Um, I mean, there's artists I'd like to work with, but it sounds like torture, too. I mean, <laughs> um, that's a tough question. I don't have to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any questions you want to jump in on? Front row. Oh, wait, I think we have a microphone. Hold on. We can, we can mic you. 
you start the conversation uh, speaking about the project that got this all going. Yep. And there was kind of loose talk about it, but I think it might have taken a sideways turn. Uh -huh. Can you speak to that uh, project that initiated all this and really kind of, you know, made this a, made this the, oh, this is why I need to do this? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so I worked with an artist and I won't name him because I don't think he wants to be named, but anyways, I signed a nice NDA before I went into the studio, so I'll just keep quiet about it. But he was a wonderful guy. And he was um, very creative and willing to take a risk, a big risk, by building a scanner and trusting me and Ryan and Brett to get it done, which was really cool of him. The artist was just like, you can't find the service. You're interested. You guys should just give it a shot. He just was like tired of doing it. He just wanted it. Yeah. I think he just wanted it enough and it sounded so magical. And... I honestly, like I've worked with Ryan a lot and I didn't know Brett at the time, but Ryan is fantastic and he's certainly one of the most capable people I've ever met. Um, and he's also just really, he's got such a diverse set of um, skills. He can, uh, he can fabricate most anything, but he's also really good on CNC's uh, as an operator, machine operator. And he was an electrician I mean, he really was like the perfect guy to do this. Plus he's obsessive. So he would, he was work, you know, the whole time. So like one funny thing about it was <clears throat> Ryan, first of all, Ryan's a really big, strong guy, you know, he's like six, five and he's also really careful with money. We got a really low bid on this. So he decided he was going to make all the ethernet cables for the scanner, which is a ton of ethernet cables. It was over a hundred ethernet cables. What do you mean? Them. Meaning take the cord, <laughs> splice it, cut it, and like solder it in or whatever. Okay. And he's got the biggest hands you've ever seen. Have you ever seen an <laughs> Ethernet cable? But anyways, he's really uh, dexterous. And, and he made every Ethernet cord, every power cord, just because he can. And I, I think he regretted it a little bit at the but end. Didn't but didn't you cast? Didn't you mold and cast? So that, that first one, we actually built it out of wood. We okay. just cut it on a CNC router. So the second one. The second one. So we, we made the first one and it was like, uh, we were all like in love. We were like, this is so cool. Let's do something with this. And like, that was the one for the artist project. That The wooden one was for the artist project. Yeah. And then the, the, the metal one, we said, we got to like tighten this thing up and make it more durable so we can take it on the road. So Ryan designed the sheet metal components and he also designed these end caps. And then I cast them in. Uh, By hand. By hand. <laughs> I mean, I've cast them so many times. And How many of those do you think you made? Well, so, oh my God. I mean, this is like R&D. You know, the first one you make, you use the wrong material. And then uh, they start shattering. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll do that again. And then you make it again. And then you send it off to CES. And on the way back, they drop the crate off a loading dock. And then you got to make another 40. So anyways, I've, I've, yeah, right. Exactly. But there's a really nice mechanism that fits in. I mean, it's a really clever thing that Ryan designed where the cap fits in, it protects the scanner. It also accepts a carriage bolt that you can tighten up from one knob. So it's really easy to stand up the towers. And also it's, it has these Lego like notches so that when you're moving it around on dollies or four wheels, or whatever you call them, you can stack them and you know, they're not going to like slip off. And it also keeps them 
kind of separated so the cameras don't get damaged. And it's, I mean, you know, we've taken it now to, to Boston, to Florida, to Vegas, to San Francisco, and like all over New York. And it's, it just fits in the van. And- yeah, it fits in like a 10 foot U Haul. And it's, you know, it's still standing, still works. So it's going okay. And were you guys um, rapid prototyping hardware? So we 3D printed all of the camera mounts. Ryan designed those as well. Oh, yeah, there we go. And there's a bunch of iterations of those. And that, I mean, that is like also something that just, I mean, still blows my mind. I know now it's kind of like old news, but when we were making this and we could just do that, I mean, it was so cool. I mean, just like coming from when, a, when was this? Well, this was three years ago. This yeah. is, I feel like when like, it's crazy how it was just when 3d printers were getting like a little bit more reliable, but the fact that we could, you know, Ryan could design these things. We could prototype it a million times. I mean, there would have been no way to do this 10 years ago, really. And what version are you on now of the whole rig? This will be the, f- I think it's the fifth one. Fifth. Yeah. What version did you as um, a, a group company, whether you were a company or not mm-hmm. at that point, what version were you like, this is bigger than just successfully building a project for this one artist? At what point were you like, this has well i i've been thirsty to start my own business for years and 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 been bugging ryan about starting a cnc fabrication business because he was really good at that and i was interested in doing my own thing but we talked about it a lot and it just seemed miserable i mean you know it's not into the waste of it and also it's competitive and i just did not feel like up for that kind of fight I think a CNC is a great complement to a business, but to just buy a CNC and build a business didn't make sense. So when we built this thing, I mean, it was just, I mean, imagine that you're like looking for something for six months and you just, you look in high and low and you're talking to experts and it doesn't exist. And then you build it and it works. It was like, I mean, I didn't build it, but, but uh, Brett and Ryan really designed it and built it. I mean, I had my two cents in, but I, you know, it was like, oh, this is really cool. Like we can do something with this. And then, so we just jumped in and of course, I mean, it was a disaster. I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, it took years. Yep. One follow-up. Um, you mentioned a bit of R and D going on. And then you also mentioned what the artist who you had initially made this for, uh, thought this sounds magical. Yes. Um, was it magical the finished product that first time or did it take many more iterations the scanner worked great right away was the artist like happy and said wow this is fantastic you guys nailed it yeah he was very happy i think he was very happy yeah you know any other questions i've never heard that before well i mean i think if you're you're essentially building a tool not an artwork and there's a different there's difference like if the tool does the job that's assigned, it's, it's a more straightforward um, desire to fulfill than making a, a finished artwork. Well, also imagine this, right? So, and this was like kind of the workflow I'll let in is that we could take a scan of someone and we had a CNC router and we could take a scan and then within less than a day, we could have a foam replica of that person. And I thought that is, I mean, that is really cool. I mean, you just can't do that unless you have all those things in place. Yeah. So if you're an artist and you want to run through figurative poses really quickly, 
you know, and you got a lot of jingle on you. There's no other way to go. Yeah. Is that you? Are, are you able to prototype those yourself, or do you have a son of the, yeah. the, the camera mount? Yeah. Yeah, no, we have a 3D printer. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're dirt cheap now. I mean, you can get them for, I mean, you know, relatively speaking, it's a thousand bucks. You can get a really nice one. Is your scanning technology the one that's that Doob by any chance? So Doob uses photogrammetry, but the difference between us and Doob is, is Doob actually has nicer cameras. Doob is a, so, so a lot of photogrammetry scanners, I'll just kind of, there's a bunch of companies that are great. There's Doob, there's Twindom. Um, what else? There's like, there's a bunch of them anyways. And their whole business is they, they do the same thing we're doing, but instead of having a digital model that dances, they just give you a little 3d print of yourself. Oh, like the stores. Yes. Okay. It's like a 3d portrait. Mm -hmm. So Doob uses, you know, DSLR cameras. And we use like Sony cell phone cameras. So we have a lot of software and our own trickery to make the cell phone cameras adequate for what we do. Um, Does that make your rig more affordable to build? Well, so you can imagine like our cameras, I think they cost 35 bucks, maybe even 25 bucks. They're pretty cheap. Yeah. And a DSLR camera is. Yes. Yeah. But then. Plug a DSLR camera into your. Well, so that's the new the new scanner we're going to merge. So I have like a hybrid of, we'll use the DSLRs for high resolution textures, but we'll, but the models are fine. I mean, that's, that's the thing about 3d that we didn't really get into because there is so much to get into, but one of the biggest things with a 3d model, if you're using it and keeping it in digital is, is called retopology. And that basically means you're taking all those polygons and you're more efficient. You're organizing them in a more efficient way so that there's less excess data. Because you have to imagine as, as good as computers and phones are getting, if you have a model and it has 300,000 polygons, it's not gonna move very well. But then, so you wanna get it down to like a couple thousand polygons. And, and there's an art to that as well. But my point is, is that using a full DSLR rig, you'll get more polygons and higher resolution, but to what end? For us. So if you're only using it for, so for instance, they're using it for these 3D prints that are pretty low res. They could use our scanner and the models yeah, would be. It is, but. They also will sell you the scan for like a lot, a lot of money. For like a thousand bucks it yeah. used to be. Wow. But see, the difference is, so the way we built it, we needed Brett and Ryan who are actually pretty unique. And the way they built it was with photograph uh, photography equipment. So they just have, I don't exactly know how they have it, but they basically have a bunch of cameras and synchronizers and it's all, it's just photography. It's just a bunch of cameras taking a picture at the same time. Do you guys have a patent on We have, we have patent pending. Okay. Yeah. Great. I hope, I hope so by the end of the year. We'll yeah. see. Uh, so if your new version has the ability to have a few DSL, DSR cameras in yep. the, in the, grouping yep those could like focus on certain areas for yeah there. that's the idea too so like overall better texture but the idea too is we want to mess around with like what if you just want a high resolution scan of your face mm -hmm. maybe we can do that too with just the because 25 cameras isn't really we actually don't know what's going to happen because we're building it for the first time because it's yeah. a lot of i mean you know we're talking about a you know we're going to buy it's twenty thousand bucks cameras yeah. and lenses so it's like 
it's kind of a expensive experiment. Yeah. But we know enough at this point and we've done some tests that we we're confident that it will work. How well we don't know. Do you feel like the real um, after all this research and like seeing how other people are using the technology systems, mm -hmm. do you feel like your value is in the software that you guys have developed for kind of um, making these polygons move easier or processing directly like wrapping and all that mm -hmm. stuff? Or do you think it's in the camera, the physical? I think it's both. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of, I think they, they really work nicely together. And that's, you know, I, I would have I answered that question maybe differently, but, I, you know, I use the thing all the time and I, it's a nice, really nice piece of hardware. It's designed well. Um, and the software, it also is, has come a long way. So, I mean, having it mobile is kind of, seems like a key point of the hardware. Yeah. No, I, I mean, having it kind of simple to set up will be, I mean, the nice thing, like I'll do a shoot in a day. I mean, it's a long day, but I'll, I can come in, I can set it up, capture, and I can leave. It's Again, it's miserable. I really try not to do that. But it's there's not a photogrammetry rig of this quality like in town. Like typically photogrammetry rigs take at least a day to set up, just to set up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you speak a little bit to, I'm not sh like totally sure myself on the specifics, but the data ownership around these 3d scans, that and is if a great that's question. a user, like at a free event, yeah. do they sign something? Do you keep the scans? Like yes. What happens? Yes. So we have a, uh, a release that the person checks at the events. Now it depends also. So if somebody's hiring us to scan, they own the scans cause that's what they're paying for. I don't know what they do with them, but they own them and they usually have a release too. Um, if we're scanning, we own the scans, you know, we're not, obviously, you know, we want to be as ethical as possible because it is, it is serious. I mean, we take it very seriously. Uh, and, you know, we are super secure with our data too, you know, all that's offline. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting territory for sure. I mean, I I think other countries are much more kind of crazy about it. In the states, it's like a bit of a free for all. I mean, I will say with our scanner right now, it's not it's not like a you know you couldn't make a deep fake that's really reasonable unless it's from a distance, I guess. And a deep fake is like manipulating scan of someone in a way yeah it would just be like creating a fake rendition of someone doing something that they never did yeah or saying something that they never said so um yeah i mean it's something i think when we think about it a lot and it's you know it's a it's a big legal question so when somebody's coming to our scanner and they're getting a scan they get the scan we get the data i guess i mean the data is valuable too. I mean, we can use that to make our scanner better or develop AI for, you know, auto rigging or whatever we can do uh, with it. Um, I think that, you know, that's sort of part of the deal for participants. And it's definitely, if, if people are uncomfortable with it, I understand it, you know. Um, and of course, if somebody was paranoid about their data and they wanted me to erase it, I would just erase it. I mean, I'm not interested in like, fighting with anyone or making anyone uncomfortable. 
it is tricky. I mean, I wish I had like really hard answers, but I think this is something that's just going to unfold. Okay. Have you ever scanned anybody's body for a replacement body part, like a prosthetic? I have, I have not done that, but it has done a lot for sure. There's a company in Baltimore called Direct Dimensions. It's like the biggest 3D scanning business on the East Coast. And they have like a doctor's office in their scanning like lab. People come and get prosthetics made because they have like every single piece of scanning equipment you can think of. It is really, it's amazing. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you to Ivan for being our guest today, and an additional thank you to Brooklyn Research for being our partner and host on the talk series Tradecraft. You can learn more about Ivan's company LensCloud on their website lenscloud3d.com and on Instagram at lenscloud3d, the number three. If you're interested in New Lab, the hardware focus shared workspace and research lab, you can check them out at www.newlab.com and details on Brooklyn Research a technology-based nonprofit community can be found at brooklynresearch.org. Ivan's art practice can be seen at www.ivan.com. A final credit to the Bryce Arislibaglia Quintet for our lovely theme song titled Mount Fuji. And please check in and subscribe to future episodes at www.craftsmanshippodcast.com. 